Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Thank you, thank you for reading us the scriptures. And if you have a Bible or a device with the Bible on it, you might want to get that out and turn to Exodus 33 as we go through uh, this passage together. My name is Eve, in case I haven't met you, I'm the clergy lead here at St. George's, leading day to day, and it's wonderful to be uh, together this evening at the beginning of this Holy Week, um, ending our series in Exodus, but beginning the journey to the cross and the empty tomb together. I wonder if you have um, read along with Exodus, give me a wave, if you've read at least a, a bit of it, most of it doing well. Oh, that's some good enthusiastic waving. That's brilliant. And I hope it has helped us gain that zoomed out picture that sometimes reading a big chunk of scripture does, particularly of this vital origin story of God's people. This is our origin story. And we're not even quite at the end of Exodus here, so if you haven't finished quite yet, keep reading and read on into the next few books as you see what happens as the people of God enter the promised land. But what we have learnt in Exodus is God's personal name that he has revealed to Moses and his people that reveals his character, Yahweh. I am who I am, I will be who I will be. No equal, no rival for this God who speaks to his people, who rescues them and who shows who he is. And we know from the witness of scripture uh, that it speaks to a God who is creator of the universe and all of creation speaks of God, speaks of Yahweh. But also that human beings can call on the name of the Lord and seek God's face and seek God's presence. And God's presence can be known and experienced. So we often say that God is everywhere and um, we, can, we can find God in all sorts of places. But there is also a witness in scripture to the manifest presence of God and the glory of God, that word in the New Testament uh, and in the Old Testament, but New Testament doxa means weight. It is a weighty thing. It is a tangible thing, the presence of God. And throughout history, the presence of God, the glory of God, has fallen or come in certain times and places. And when we gather together as church here, we seek God's presence, God's manifest power and presence and glory, not just for the experience in the moment, but to be changed and to bless the world. But in this passage, we find ourselves after a key time where God's people have fallen short of the glory of God. We heard last week from Joanna about idols and the sin of the golden calf. God's people were so impatient to wait for God's promise that while Moses was up the mountain, they made an idol in place of the presence of Yahweh. How can God's people come back for this? Every time I read that story, it just sounds sort of ridiculous and sort of exactly like human beings, more like sort of toddlers or sometimes teenagers are, but also myself sometimes. Um, you know, when God, God's talking to his people, 
Moses is talking to Aaron and other people saying, how did this happen? And they're like, well, we, we just sort of threw the gold in and it sort of came out. Just these lame excuses for why they've been so impatient. But we'll see in this passage that it has real consequences for God's people and their relationship with Yahweh. Because we see in the whole book as well that this God is a God of covenant, of faithful promise, who keeps all his promises to his people despite them and us constantly turning away from him, saying we want to do things our own way. And sometimes people ask me or we have conversations about the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament as if God is radically different. But I hope when we read this text, we see some of the continual patience of God, of Yahweh with his people. All through um, in the wilderness, God's people grumble, it's a common word, and complain against Yahweh and his appointed leaders. They even begin to have an upside down perspective on what was really happening, saying Egypt was wonderful and now we're in this place. We can't possibly imagine what God will do, even having seen the rescue through the waters. Hannah, I wonder if you could bring my water bottle from in my bag, thanks. Because I'm going to, I've got a tickly cough, one minute. There's a little bit in it, that's good. I might have just more of it. There we go. And through all of this upside down perspective, God is still faithful to them, He provides for them but they quickly become impatient. But all the way through, God continues to be present among them in flame and cloud. And we're gonna think as well today and just mark the fact that it's this Palm Sunday and how what we see in this passage, we begin to see fulfilled in Jesus as well. So just as we reflect on the presence of God with us, um, there's a few kind of things on the table. Oh, thank you so much. Loving service. There's a few things that I've just brought. Some people are visual, some people are listening, you know, that kind of thing. So it's just things that reminded me from my house today as I was thinking about this talk. And uh, as we think about the presence of God, and we think about the presence of God, particularly in Exodus, being personal and particular, and particularly in flame. So I'm just going to light a candle just to remind us the presence of God is here, but also that he appeared in the burning bush and in the pillar of fire. So we've just come from this episode in Exodus of sin and falling short. So we see now in Exodus 33 that the presence of God and the obedience of God's people are related in our culture, uh, there's a bit of a mantra of, um, I can't say it in any way that's cool, you do you. Um, uh, as long as you don't hurt anyone else, define hurt here, then go for it. And while there is, of course, radical freedom and restoration of full human dignity in the Christian story, a biblical worldview worldview reminds us that we are still all connected to one another and to God. So our actions and our words and our thoughts have consequences and have ripple effects. 
And God's holy, loving presence seems to have certain conditions within which God will dwell. Even post-Pentecost, when the Spirit is poured out, as we've been thinking a little bit as well, with Asbury and revival, God goes where he's wanted. There are sometimes seems to be these conditions of seeking God, of holiness, of worship, of prayer, where the Spirit of God, the presence of God dwells. And I think it's helpful to think about this at the beginning of Holy Week, not from a guilt perspective or a we should do this, but from recognizing again just how much Jesus has done for us and won for us in his life and death and resurrection to grant us access to his grace, to his presence. I was helping with some assemblies this week in Abbey Grange and part of the communion prayer that I pray um, is thanking God that we have gained access to God's grace through what Jesus has done on the cross. And a book that I've been reading in Lent by a guy called Mark Scarlatta, who's um, an Old Testament scholar, says, the sin of the Israelites at Mount Sinai is the most detailed narrative in the Old Testament that deals with the theological ideas of sin and judgment, of intercession, prayer, and mercy. Nowhere do the sacred authors pause at such length to explore the question of how the divine presence, the holy presence of God, can remain among a disobedient people. And if this is our origin story and this is our roots, this is important for us to think about as well. He says the Israelites in the golden calf that we've just read about have chosen their own path and have instituted their own worship practices. So in doing so, they've jeopardized their future as God's chosen people. But we see even in this that God is faithful, that Yahweh is going to lead them on. In verse 1, God says, leave this place and go to the land that I've promised. So he's still fulfilling his promise of taking them to the promised land. Despite their sin, he's keeping his promise to them. In verse two, he says, I will send an angel before you to drive out the other peoples. After the sin of the golden calf, God didn't deny Israel his protection. He promised to be with them in some way, to fight for them in the promised land. But in verse three, I will not go with you. He'll deny a sense of his presence because actually to be close to them would bring judgment on them. But they mourn, they strip themselves of their ornaments, of their jewelry, which is a right response to what God is saying he'll do. He says in verse five, you are a stiff-necked people. Have you ever used that in an argument? I might start using it. It says it twice here. It's also in the New Testament. Um, This isn't just the idea that they were stubborn, but they were stubbornly resisting God. It's like if an ox or a donkey had um, the thing on its neck, yoke, uh, and it was resisting the farmer and making its neck stiff so it couldn't be maneuvered. So it's like a deliberate stubbornness. Um, so I don't know if, you know, if you want to use stiff-necked this week, uh, then I invite you to do that. You're being very stiff-necked about this whole thing, uh, then tell me if you do. 
Uh, The Apostle uh, Stephen in Acts after Pentecost when he's uh, proclaiming the good news says to the people who aren't receiving Jesus, you stiff-necked people, you don't recognize who God is. So even in disobedience, God is seeking to fulfill his promises. Now contrast that broken relationship with the friendship with God that Moses has. In verse 7, we see that Moses made his own tent of meeting to be with Yahweh. The tabernacle wasn't even built yet. It was outside the camp. You had to intentionally travel to be with Yahweh. But it made the point of who really wanted to go into the presence of God and who didn't. And the people would rise to witness that worship was happening when Moses went in. In verse 9, we see while the Lord spoke with Moses, the presence of God would fall on that place. And in verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. I wonder who some of your best friends are who know you well, who it's easy to talk to. I, uh, if, you, if anyone has ever come to my house, you know that I have lots of pictures of people. And um, if you're really special, you get a picture on the wall. Um, and these are people that I speak face to face with. There's no mask. Um, face to face as with a friend. And we'll see in a moment how that's interesting that Moses gets to do that even with the glory of God. That is almost dangerous to be around for people. And we find out what that really means in the book of Numbers in chapter 12 where it says, when there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house, obedient. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. That's how I like my friends to speak to me. Clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. And this word face here depicts this intimacy, this emphasis on Moses' distinct role as the only mediator for Israel. It points to a loving, trusting, simple conversation between friends. Do you feel you have that with Jesus today? Do you know that accessible, simple relationship in prayer, in worship day to day with God? We see this in Jesus. In in John 5, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, to his followers, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. The Father and the Son are one. Jesus knows his Father's heart. So they've been called to go, but Moses knows what it is for the Israelites to be distinctive, to have God's manifest presence with them. It's not enough for an angel of the Lord to go with them. Moses, in 12 to 14, intercedes, prays on behalf of the people, and the Lord, in that kind of confusing and wonderful and theologically rich way, seems to change his mind. Whole other sermon over there. Um, But it seems that this intimacy with God means that God responds to that obedience And he decides his presence will go with them. Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us. How will anyone know that we are your people? And the Lord says, I will do what you've asked because I'm pleased with you. And I know you, Moses, by name. 
We want the presence of God. So when we're going with God, I've just, I mean, this is the this is extent of maps I have in my house, guys, if you want to. This is a visitor's guide to Yorkshire. Cheer for Yorkshire. Thank you very much. Uh, it's got everything you need to know. And um, they didn't have, you know, mapped, mapped to where, exactly where they were going in those times. But um, they wanted to know that God's presence would go with them. And it's like turning to any of these pages and finding God, finding Jesus saying, I am here with you. There's nowhere that you're going to go that I am not going to be with you. You can call on my name. And maybe you need to know that tonight in your workplace, at university, in your family. We know that this week we celebrate the coming king of Jesus, that in Jesus, God's presence is incarnate. He is the walking tent of meeting, who we can know now because he is alive. But even then, for a friend of God like Moses, it's not enough. Moses says, show me your glory. This word, uh, kavod, I might not be saying it right, it's associated with the divine presence, Yahweh himself. And in Exodus, that presence has been revealed at God's discretion and his timing before people. And now Moses is the one who invites this revelation through a personal request. And it has been revealed through God's miraculous acts and rescue from Egypt. But now he wants to see God's very presence and glory. And Moses, um, God says this interesting thing that you can't see my face because you would die, which is interesting because it's already said that Moses spoke to God like a friend. But there are two slightly different emphases there. But we see here that it comes from relationship and that God says, I, what I will do is allow my goodness and mercy to pass by you. That's like as much as that's, and, and you're going to turn your face away and be sort of hidden in the bit of a rock. And that's what you can experience with me. That's what you can take and handle. But he has profound encounter with God and his goodness and presence. And we have the potential now to have that encounter with the presence of God because after the ascension that we're going to get to in a few weeks time when Jesus ascends to heaven he sends the spirit to fill his people and to set them apart as distinct and that's available to all people still with that sense of request and that sense of seeking after God but it's available to all not just particular times and places we can experience that and I just want to say a note on experience and testimony that, um, in, again, in our culture today, we talk about experience a lot, and experience has a lot of weight and authority, um, but, you know, in, even in like research and different things. Um, but I think it's helpful just to note for us practically as we think about our experiences, maybe of, of God, but just spiritual experiences, experiences in our lives, that's like the raw data. And what I think God is inviting us to do is take that experience, reflect on it in the church with others, with scripture, and let it become testimony that we've kind of filtered through the experience of the church and the writers of scripture and wisdom of those around us um, so that it's informed about who God is. 
And that's not to say that every experience, you know, God just wants us to share a testimony and it's like the end, that's the end result. But I just notice around us that it's very easier to say, well, that's my experience and that's it. Can't touch it. You can't sort of debate it. And I wonder whether there's more than that, that God is inviting us to share testimony of what God has done that will encourage other people and serve the whole church. And a really good way of doing that, um, I've just brought my kind of testimonies. Um, I've journaled since I was like 15, 16, so I have quite a lot of them. And I just keep history of what I'm thinking, but also just address it to God. You can't read these. Um, And um, I think it's really good to build up history with him. And I invite you, if you haven't done already, or if you've been exploring faith, or if you've become a Christian, um, start doing this now. Build history with God. Particularly, you know, I write if I have encounters with him and that kind of thing. Um, And it's particularly helped me reflect on experiences, and sometimes a long time after them, to be able to have them as testimony. So for me, um, an example maybe is you know, encountering the presence of God. So a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we were at, some of us were at a New Wine conference. There was lots of uh, worship and prayer with other uh, Christians. Or indeed, we have our team like staff prayers here each week where we pray together and worship. And often in those times, um, I have, I experience a deep sense of God's presence and his love and his patience with me. What that actually feels like um, in experience is um, a kind of sense of weight and peace, but also a release of emotion. I often um, cry in those times. Now, my experience, in my experience, what's happening is I'm kind of feeling something and I'm surrounded by wonderful, safe people and I, an emotion comes out. Now, if I left it there, I would just have an, exp- like an experience of, oh, I don't know what that is. But when I look at scripture and when I talk to other Christians and when I see how the church over time and indeed things like Asbury and other revivals um, have experienced that and discern what that is, I think that's the presence of God with me and filling me. And often that emotion, I'm not upset about a particular thing or injured in a way that, that produced tears, um, but I know that God is meeting with me and reminding me of his patience and kindness and love. And the thing is, we know from psychology that actually, um, often stopping and resting, listening to uplifting music, um, might mean our body naturally, we say naturally, we are created by a loving God who sort of designed us that way, but that releases tension And it often means that when we come into worship gatherings and that kind of thing, we might find ourselves responding to God's presence. And one could say, well, sounds like you had a good cry and that was really good for you. (laughs) You know, that might be the evaluation. Um, But after processing and reflecting on those experiences of praying as well, speaking with God, talking to other people, looking at the fruit of that encounter with God, I can see how God has filled me and reminded me of his presence, his love, that he is enough. Again, not the mantra of you are enough. I am enough only in Christ. And he enables me to gain fresh perspective on what is happening at that time. 
a fresh father's heart for those around me, renewed compassion. So that experience becomes testimony when I weigh it. And it also reminds me that I can seek that. We don't have to wait Sunday by Sunday to come to a place like this and encounter the presence of God. It certainly helps. We are meant to gather together. But I can seek this. I don't have to wait. I don't have to wait till I'm tired or out of steam or when I particularly need to be distinctive in a place, I say, presence of God, I need you. But it's that intimacy with God over time in every situation, in the small, in the big, saying, presence of God, would you come? Would you be with me or with these people? Or if you're making a decision, would you come and dwell with me? Would I sit in your presence? Build history with God. Again, I don't want to you know, give spoilers, but next week we're going to hear the testimony of Mary at the tomb who said, I have seen the Lord. He called her by name. She didn't understand the experience at first. She thought she was meeting the gardener. Only through encounter and understanding what that was became her testimony. And in a moment, we're going to have a practice of practicing the presence of God. Because we can do this anytime. Part of our gathering is to equip us to do this anytime. And the thing is, um, I mean, in one sense, it's quite simple. We wait, we pray, we ask. Often it's in stillness that helps. And on the other hand, there's loads of resources out there with spiritual practices, waiting on God's presence. The main thing I have found as a pastor type person to encourage people in is follow through, is perseverance in those things, in the asking, in the waiting. It's so easy to have an encounter and go, right, that's great. We're invited to do that every day in community. And, um, and I find lots of different ways of doing this. There's lots of resources on our website as well. But um, it takes time. And so um, it takes resting and abiding. We've been talking about that as well as those kind of spontaneous moments that we sometimes feel. And our culture and our world around us is against us stopping and resting and abiding. It is out to distract. Um, so any way we can find to regularly stop and pause. One way of doing that, just very, very practical, is setting a timer. Um, I, don't, this, I have this in my office. I'm not suggesting you all get a massive egg timer, although it pleases me. You like giant things or tiny things? It's like satisfying, right? Um, but sometimes you set a timer on your phone um, or you know, a device or something um, and you just sit and wait. And it's so powerful. It always takes the first kind of third half to even settle our minds and our bodies. Um, so I'm just going to do this one time through. I'm just going to sit and, and then we're going to respond all together as well. But I'm just going to invite us to do this. It's not very long.
that's what it feels like to wait for a few moments. You might have just, just been getting into it, which is great. And as we do that, as we wait for God's presence, as we invite him into different situations, uh, keep your Bibles open because the Spirit will agree with the Scriptures and keep speaking to other disciples as well. And particularly this Holy Week, if you come on Good Friday, part of what we'll do is spend time hearing Scripture, hearing reflection, and then sitting in silence reflecting. Uh, so if you want to practice that, it's a really good place uh, to start. But I'm going to invite the band and um, Josh up as we just continue to respond uh, to God, to invite his presence, a personal presence of God, inviting us into friendship with him that Jesus has made possible. I invite you to stand if you're able as we just continue to respond to him. You might feel a number of things as well. It might feel a sense of peace because we worship the Prince of Peace. It might be a sense of warmth and sometimes that's an indication of a spiritual gift or something that God wants you to pray for. It might be a word or a picture that comes to mind. It might just be that uh, you sense God's love for you, for the people around you. There might be a particular situation that you want to intercede for and say, like Moses, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't want to go. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.